You're listening to She Said What with your host, Alyssa Harper. Hi, everybody. Welcome or welcome back to the She Said What podcast with your host, Alyssa Harper. That's me. If you haven't listened to the podcast before, welcome. Oh my God, it's so good to have you here. This podcast is all about wellness and taking care of yourself, taking care of your mind, and specifically talking about topics that might seem a bit TMI or something that you might struggle to talk about, things that people maybe hesitate to talk about, can be a bit um, taboo or just a bit uncomfortable depending on what your situation looks like. So that's what we really focus on. Today, I had the lovely opportunity of interviewing my friend Blue, who is just an, an amazing, incredible Incredible person. They are creative. They have a line of work that is so inspiring. They teach breath work and meditation. And they also work at this company called Man Cave, which works with young men to help them challenge what masculinity means for them and challenges things like toxic toxic masculinity. So I know that you guys are going to find that so interesting. They also have a really interesting story about how they were involved in the church and they eventually chose to leave the church because they were coming out as queer and the two things just didn't align. And so they chose to leave the church, but they have a really inspiring story of how they rebuilt their values and they rebuilt their community outside of the church and kind of how to do that and kind of advice for people who are potentially in that journey, which I know some of you are. So it was just a really, really inspiring interview and they've inspired me just having them in my life. Like this is a good friend of mine. So I know you guys are just going to eat this up. But let's just get right into it. I hope you enjoy. If you guys want to chat about anything, um, of course, you can always message me. Don't forget to follow the podcast and share the podcast. And I know you guys are going to love this. So let's get right into it. Enjoy. Today we have joining us my lovely friend Blue. Say hello, Blue. Hello. Hi. Hi, 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 hi. So Blue and I met at work. How long ago? Like, uh, like a year and a half ago? Yeah, no. Two like, years ago? No, 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 one year ago. One year ago. Year one year ago. ago. Yeah, well, it feels like it's been ages. It's been a red hot minute. It's been a lifetime. <laughs> um, and I just thought it would be so fun to have Blue on the podcast because I've just seen their amazing energy. I've seen their journey, and I've personally been inspired by it, and I just think it's something that you guys will so, so benefit from. So I say we just get right into it. Do you want to give yourself like a little intro, like who you are kind of, maybe let's, maybe let's start at the grassroots. Like where did you grow up? Where are you from? Mm. Well, hi, my name is Blue. Um, I'm 27 years old, which is Cuckoo Insano for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I grew up in Sydney, Australia, down South in a very coastal town beach, um, called Cronulla. And, yeah, I grew up with, like, a mum, a dad, a sister, kind of, like, um, that typical white suburban family with the mm -hmm. dog and <laughs> went to very beautiful, healthy schools. It was easy and, yeah. I love that. What was it um, like growing up? Like, what was your family like? Like, what was, like, the di dynamic like? Yeah, my uh, – this is so great. I love this, like – I have a, a mom and a dad, but they played, like, really interesting roles. So my mom, growing up, when she was, like, 15, 16 years old in the 70s, she was, like, a massive feminist. Mm. And she would do walkouts at school. She's not proud to say this, but she used to release the chickens at school <laughs> and, like, cause absolute chaos. 
um, so that girls could wear pants at schools because there was only skirts. Even in the dead of winter, she was like, screw this. Why are these half of this population allowed to wear pants and I'm not? So she would do walkouts and stuff. And um, so my mom is this really like fiery, passionate person who has worked for NGOs since her early 20s. She's in her 60s now. What's NGOs? Uh, Non-government organisations. Got it. So these, um, she works for pretty much... Yeah, her job is to create safety for animals across the world Mm. um, and to work with governments in providing protections to native wildlife throughout the world. So, like, a voice to animals. Yeah, yeah. She's, like, a big activist. Yeah. um, And a really strong personality. We love her. She's, like, (laughs) people would describe her as very masculine in her, like, Mm. she's very beautiful and, like, feminine when she wants to play and be fun. Mm. And then her at her core is this really, like, strong masculine figure, which... I, like, see so much of myself in, in this, like, mm-hmm. feminine, masculine energy. Um, and then my dad, he was what we call down under a sparky. He's an electrician. <laughs> so he was a tradie um, and he now teaches electricians yeah, cool. um, at university now. And he was just, like, this fun, full-of-life character that was carefree, didn't give a fuck about anything. Are Aww. we allowed to swear in yeah, this? Yeah, you're allowed to okay. swear. <laughs> you can say whatever the hell you anything. want. <laughs> and... He was just, like, this wild, exciting, fun personality that was always, like, looking to care and love for people. And, like, he grew up in the church and was very much, like, the person people would come to for joy and love but also, Mm. like, safetiness because he also provided this, like, fun dad energy. Yeah. Yeah. So you grew up in the church? I didn't. So You didn't? I didn't. So my parents... My mom didn't really, but my dad definitely grew up in a, like, a pretty strong Christian okay. household. And then yeah. when he turned 19, he was like, yo, I don't think this is for me anymore. He listened to, like, hardcore rock music. Which <laughs> back, in, back in the 80s, 90s, Christians were like, that's the devil's right. music. Exactly. You're out. And he yeah. was like, all right, well, I'm taking my devil's music and having a rock and roll time. Um, yeah. So they both left the church and stuff when they were in there. Uh, late teens. And so I kind of grew up in an agnostic mm-hmm. household where yeah. – there wasn't really much conversation about it, but yeah. Okay, because I know you got into that at one point. So at one point, did you start getting into church and all that? Mm. So I got into church when I was 18. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I left school. Um, and to kind of like preface the story of like, why church going into 18 mm-hmm. was so impactful for me and why I jumped into it is to kind of like, tell my story of like what high school was for me okay and that will really give like a picture as to why Christianity did such like a strong visceral impact in my life in those early years of my 20s yeah okay um, do you want to tell us about that yeah, yeah okay yeah, yeah. That. <laughs> great um so um yeah when so I went to high school mm-hmm. and when I was 12 years old I had an event happen that was within like the first three four weeks of starting year seven mm-hmm. I didn't know anybody at this school like literally went to a private school went there didn't know a single person um and I kind of went in as you do when you're from primary school like in primary school I had no one I didn't get along with say everybody but there was no consequence to like not getting along with people you just kind of rolled your eyes and moved on yeah I got into year seven and I had this massive confidence about myself and I was like I can be whoever I want and it was like a Thursday afternoon four weeks into my first couple of weeks of high school and Mm. the school bell had rang all the buses were out the front and there were everybody ready red hot ready to get home 
I was with my friends at the time and I, being this fun, flamboyant personality, was singing at that time. Do you remember Black Eyed Peas were, like, massive in the, like, early 2000s? Fergie had just come out and started her very first, like, kind of solo career. And she came out with Fergalicious. So I thought I would come up with my very own rendition of it, (laughs) Bluealicious. So I'm with my mates and we're we're having a laugh and I'm just performing and I'm like, from the B to the L to the U-E-A-N. Can no other brother put it down like me and blue delicious? And I was just being an absolute fool and having so much fun. And I vividly remember being on the bus, singing with my friends and laughing. And there was this year 11 student at the back and he was on the back seat, whatever. Mm. And he told me to shut up. And I was like, okay, whatever. I just mm. looked at him and rolled my eyes because mm. I'd never had any consequences before. So I continued singing and he came down and met like he was this big, strong, masculine energy Mm -hmm. and he came down, approached me on the bus and he grabbed me in a way (laughs) that he he grabbed me and he threw me up against the bus pane window (laughs) and he held me in a way that stopped me from breathing for eight seconds And I remember starting to lose, like, a little bit of consciousness and, like, fighting him off and everybody on the bus just watching. And he told me to shut the F up, you Mm -hmm. little faggot. And it was – and then he dropped me and I finally went (gasps) – and I breathed. And the words were so sharp and so strong in my heart. And nobody did anything on the bus. And that was the moment that I had this, the experience of this emotion, this feeling that had never happened before. Yeah. And this was the feeling of shame. Yeah. And I was just overcome with shame for like this fun flamboyant kid that got praised by adults when I was younger, going into year seven of high school, nobody not only didn't like it, but there was shame to it. Yeah. And that shame followed me from year seven straight through year 12. And I don't really remember anything much of high school because of this experience. It put me in what's called our sympathetic nervous system, mm. which is our fight or flight. Mm-hmm. And I was in fight or flight for my entire high school career. Wow. And when we're in that, we actually lose a little bit of our consciousness because we're not fully aware of what's going on. We're just mm. ready. Like all the blood is in our muscles and we're ready to like either fight somebody that's about to persecute me yeah. or I'm about to fuck off and fly mm-hmm. the other direction. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I was in all the time, particularly at a Christian high school where, like, wow, yeah, boys yeah. were masculine, girls were feminine. And, yeah, so when it got to year 12, I just was like, oh, my gosh, I've just done six years of absolutely living in shame, yeah. hiding, like, thriving in drama because that was the safe <laughs> place and I could play. And then out on the on the field, like, being terrified. And so yeah. I decided that in year 12 that, yeah, I just didn't want to do this life anymore. And Mm. that HSE coming out with a number, I remember crying to my mom and being like, why have I got $250 on my wrist to tell me what time it is? Mm. And there's someone over in Africa that's not eating. Like my brain was going through Mm. all these, like I don't understand this whole picture thing of life. Yeah. So I finally got through the end of year 12 and I was like, that's it. I want to grab life and I want to like feel it for me. This is where Christianity came into my life. Okay, yeah. I met with a whole bunch of people who loved my flamboyancy. They loved my femininity. In fact, they celebrated it Mm. and they said, come be a part of more love. And so this is where at 18, I got a tattoo with a cross on my wrist. We love her. We love her. She's still there. She's very bold and uh, very prominent. Um, And 
this is where I began my journey into Christianity, which shaped and formed my life for the next four years. Yeah. Okay. And then what did that um, look like? Like, how did you know you were planning on going and then staying there? Were you just like, I'm sold? Like, this is my life now? Yeah. Such a good question. Like, when you first started, were you like, oh, my God, this is everything I've been waiting for? I think, yeah. Yeah. High school was absolutely terrifying and Mm. church was this liberating place where I was like, I don't know if this is forever. I didn't even question it. I just know, Mm. I just went, right now, this feels amazing and I'm getting so much love and affirmation and I'm really good at it. Like, I'm good at Christianity. Yeah. You know, like, I'm really good at performing and, like, loving on people. Mm. Um, Yeah. And I went for that. That's what really – and I I sold myself into it, like, six days a week volunteering and everything and blah, blah. Oh, wow. To the point where, like, six months into Christianity, I was over in Zambia, Africa, doing missionary work – the next year I was living in Cambodia. Yeah, um, wow. Running all that stuff. Like I gave – and I was just thriving. As well mm. as church gave me – taught me so much about myself. Like they challenged me. They're like, what do you actually value? Yeah, right. Who are you? Yeah. I never got that in school. Yeah. No, I agree with that for sure. I definitely have that experience as well where I felt like in church at least it made you stop once a week. And obviously if you're involved a lot more, even more, mm. it did make me stop and – question things or like think about myself and I do think to this day even though I don't go to church anymore that like it did make me a much more like wise reflective person yeah just being there you know and even just taking a day a week to be like what do I think about life I don't know you know (laughs) it's good like it is good yeah interesting so then how did that progress like how because obviously you said you've been there or you were there for four years how did that progress and at what point did you even consider not wanting to be part of that anymore Mm. so I'm such a storyteller Um, (laughs) give it to us (laughs) it was three years 18 19 20 three years later Mm -hmm. I went down to Melbourne Mm -hmm. um which for me is the city of freedom (laughs) (laughs) I love everybody down in Melbourne and it's New York City it's it's New York City for me (laughs) it's like the dream of people can just be do what they want be what they want but also I think that's just because it was out of Sydney and out of my hometown yeah yeah and I remember going to a cafe and I saw what I'd loved the most about Christianity. So Christianity to me had community. I hadn't got that in school. Mm. I, I had a little bit of taste of it with my family, but yep. like your kind of tribe and people. And I went down to Melbourne and what I saw was 12 people sitting around a massive long table at a cafe. All of them are sharing mimosas. And it was a cross of what I imagined at that time back in 2014 or 15, mm. men and women mm-hmm. who were of all, all sexualities and Mm -hmm. colors and it was just beautiful and I Mm. could see like queer couples straight couples and they all had and I just vividly remember them being there for somebody's birthday and they all had these mimosas they lifted them up and cheersed for someone's birthday and I went (gasps) that's what being queer can look like oh yeah it doesn't have to be hairy and buff doing yeah. drugs at the front of Mardi Gras, which I laugh about now, but actually, like, that's literally what I thought. Like, yeah. growing up, after the AIDS uh, uh, epidemic mm-hmm. um, and, and like, the p- depiction of queer people yeah. from the 80s and 90s that bled into the 2000s, yeah. I really didn't understand what queerness could really look like, that yeah. it could look like a book reader nerd in the corner of a cafe. Like, it didn't have to be this loud to me which is so sad drug using leather wearing half naked person that screams obnoxious things even though I was in love I've always 
loved queer people and I had queer family members, I still had this depiction. I was like, that's like the form that I don't want to be, so I can't be. Whereas Melbourne, when I went and saw that community, I was like, that looks like friendship. Mm. That looks like love. That looks like people being their authentic selves. I want that. Yeah, wow. And that was kind of the catalyst of going, well, how the hell is this going to blend in with my values of Mm. church and Christianity and faith? Because there's no evidence around currently that says it's doable. Right. And is that how you felt? Like, did you experience that before when you were in the church? And did you have those things where you were questioning that about yourself or you were thinking that about yourself and you were just suppressing it? Or were you just like, I don't need it? Like, what were you doing with that emotion when you were in the church before you had that experience seeing those queer people that day? Can you ask that question again? Yeah, I can. Of course I can. Yeah. (laughs) Just like if before you had that experience of being like, oh, queerness can look like this. Did you have questions about your sexuality already before that? And then when you were in the church, were you struggling with that at all? Or was it just something where you were like kind of out of mind, out of sight about it? Mm. Absolutely. Knowing now, I can look back at to the age of eight yeah. when I was attracted to boys. Mm-hmm. Um. And which was really confusing because also being attracted to girls in mm-hmm. high school, I was like, hang on. Yeah. Wait, what? Yeah. Um, when I was in church before that experience down in Melbourne, I would see somebody that was attractive and I go, oh, I must want to be like them. Right. Not that I wanted to be with them. Yeah. I would see a lifeguard at the beach and be like staring at them relentlessly and be like, <laughs> I I must want my body to look like that, not that I'm attracted to it. Right, of course. And I would have these subconscious conversations in my own self, fully unaware, but also fully knowing, like, Mm. that I was queer and that fighting this in my chest, in my body, was something that I fought my entire high school career. Like, I used to go home and, like, after high school and, like, pretend that I was or have maybe an idea of a crush on this girl and then I would go home and like look at gay porn or like um save photos of like gorgeous guys that were like or I'd walk past Kmart (laughs) and be looking at the underwear models and stuff like that and be like but I would I don't know there's a way of I'm sure a psychologist could put it down to go like I fully convinced myself that that wasn't who I was or that I wanted to be and so I would press it down whereas because also what was attached to that attraction was negative connotations with what that meant must mean I must become like right, these exactly. drug yeah. users or ill people or yeah. blah, blah, blah. So I was like, oh, I so don't identify with that. So I don't identify with this attraction. Mm-hmm. However, the first time I saw queer people in what I would describe as um, in, in social healthy settings mm-hmm. and physically healthy settings, I'm like, okay, I can't deny that I want that. Right. Okay. So then what happened after that going forward? Like after you had that experience where you saw what it could look like, did you from there, was it just like, okay, well I can't do this with the church. So I'm leaving the church or were you scared to rebuild your community? Like what happened from there? I shut down. Mm. I could do this surface level performance with everybody around me. Hey, how are you, Alyssa? Oh, my gosh, I love your earrings. Mm. Hey, how's your parents going? Mm. Blah, blah, blah. 
Or Blue, tell me about you. Oh, I'm good. So your dog, like I could absolutely yeah. have a conversation. I was, I mastered talking about other people and subjects that didn't have anything to do with me. Right. And I shut down any conversation that had to do with me. Even yeah. things to do with like work that weren't even close to my sexuality. I just wasn't engaged. In, I just wasn't. Able to engage. Able to that? engage in conversation with people. Honestly, for a very fucking long time. I'm going to yeah. say like nine months was the f- after that Melbourne trip. Wow. I was still going to church. I was still part of everything. Yeah. And I think after nine months, I had this vision in when I was first came into Christianity that I was going to have this beautiful blonde head wife with three children <laughs> living on the south coast of Sydney, living by the beach. Mm. And we we're going to be this beautiful family. Yeah. And I remember there was this one day in church where it just got to the point where I I bursted out to tears and I cried and I grieved the loss of this dream because I knew it was no longer truthful, authentic or for me. Yeah. And then I started to, it was a slow, this is why I love the terminology inviting people in rather than word coming out. Yeah. So a lot of the conversation that we have in the queer community or queer people say is, um, when did they come out? Who came yeah. out? Yeah. Um, have they come out yet? Are they in the closet? Which I think is kind of useful terminology, but now what I'm discovering is actually it's a really useless metaphor. Right. Like it's actually a really useful, useless metaphor, particularly in mine. Yeah. I began to invite people in, safe people. My cousin down in Melbourne, safe person. They're not wow. in my realm. I can invite them in because they're not going to affect my day-to-day life. Yeah. My sister, really safe person. She's not going to share that with anyone. And then mm. months and months would go by. I think that started at the age of 22 and it wasn't till 24, like, I'd only, I think like a year and a half then I'd engaged in conversation with my parents who are both queer affirming parents, by the way. Wow, right. But I was so terrified of rejection Mm. that I didn't bring them into the conversation for Mm. another year and a half. And then it wasn't, so that journey began at like the end of the ages of 21 and it wasn't until 24 that I was like, okay, now I'm going to have a coming out party because (laughs) I don't want to like keep inviting people in. Yeah, I'm just going to make it a statement because people like, keep asking me like about my girlfriend. I'm like, I can't keep having this same conversation. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And then you were just like fully, I want to say out, but you've let all these people in at I that point. S- I let everybody in. And okay. it was in that year and a half time that I started to stop going to church as much. I started not holding myself accountable to showing up for people who weren't also showing up for me. Right. Like Christianity, they ask you a lot of you. Like Christianity, they're like, volunteer for this, volunteer for that, volunteer. And you want to because you want somebody to affirm that you're doing such good God's work. Yeah. And so you're like, F yeah, like, (laughs) yeah, I'm doing God's work. And then I was like, actually, I'm putting all my eggs in like, like, I've got only X amount of coins to give for energy yeah. and I kept giving coins to places where I'm like I'm actually not even enjoying this and right. then I started to slowly let go of the church and now I still have really strong connection with about like 10 people that I used to go to church with yeah because they're super open-minded they're extremely loving they were the people I gravitated towards because they're quite academics like mm. they love theology more yeah. so than they love like I think they love their faith more than they love religion and yeah. so it was the people that love their faith more than religion that I'm mm. still in relationship with yeah and then at about 24 was like church absolutely has nothing to offer me mm-hmm. that other communities outside can't 
Yeah. And so then what did that look like? Because obviously community has been an ongoing theme for you and yes. you, you didn't have it and then you did have it and then you question it and then you see a different community and you think, I want that. But then you suddenly feel like you don't have it again. And then where did you start to rebuild your community? Like what did you get to a point where you're like, okay, I need to rebuild this or did it just start to happen naturally? I, cause I know you said that you still had you like you said, you still talked to 10 people that are from the church and what, so you, st- I don't know if you ever got to a point where you felt like you had no one or maybe you did have people, but you just felt like you didn't have people. Yeah, leaving mm. church was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Leaving community, mm. I should say, was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Yeah. And I felt extremely lonely for a very long time. Yeah. Um, even around people that weren't part of my church that affirmed me, I was like, I still want the love and adoration of my church people because they're mm. the ones that I connected to through spiritually. Yeah. And then that began to change when I decided I went, F it, I'm going to go to Europe. And I went and had the best time in Europe for like six weeks. And I had all these sexual relationships with, again, I'm going to use <laughs> the terming that I just said that I didn't like, but closeted people. Okay. And because wh- what I'm discovering now is like, oh my God, I'm not alone. Europe taught me. Yeah. This is the most craziest thing ever. It sounds so <laughs> Generation Z or like, gen- <laughs> like millennial. I went to Europe <laughs> And I had all these sexual relations Mm. with closeted people. And then I realized, oh, my God, not only am I not, like, alone in this, Mm. not only am I, like, a minority of queer people, oh, my God, 50% of the men that I was coming into contact with, because we're all out of our hometowns and we feel liberated to explore. Yeah. I'm the majority. Holy shit. I'm the majority. (laughs) Yeah, wow. And I was like, even guys that weren't like super interested, they're like, let's play and find out and discover. And I'm like, that's what I'm trying to discover. Oh, I'm just wow. wanting to play. And so after Europe, I was like, okay, I'm not alone in yeah. this wanting to explore my sexuality. Yeah. And then when I got back from Europe, so I, I grew up in South Sydney, which is a really conservative area. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually where our prime minister's from and he's a very conservative, boring person. Sad face. Um, and so I ripped the band-aid off. I was like, right, I'm moving out of here. And I went to the queerest place in Sydney I knew, which is for me was Newtown. And I moved there. Oh uh, yes, Newtown. And th- I remember walking into Newtown for the first time and I saw this chick skating with skater shoes, black and white striped socks green hair and I was like okay cool this is a place where people go to learn to experience express themselves yeah and in Newtown when I moved there that's where I I found some people there's a community called Sydney ex-evangelicals on Facebook Mm -hmm. and we would do meetups in Newtown and get together and talk about our traumas in the church and Mm -hmm. where we're still connected and whether we're a Christian still or of faith or not of faith And it was really fucking healing and really beautiful. And people would, it was the same thing as church in the sense of community. Yeah. Somebody would host a dinner or a potluck and everybody would come and we'd converse and have wine and chat and connect through story. Yeah. Um, So it was church without it being religious. And that's where I began in that to really explore who I was and fall in love with people and realize that I can have this community that I saw down in Melbourne outside of church and mm. it be celebrated and loved. Yeah. And, and that's and all that parts it. of you were accepted. Exactly. In it. Um, and oh. so I learned so much about myself and I'm still on the journey of it yeah. all. I'm like in this really beautiful place now where I'm so 
aware of who I am. Mm -hmm. I have a really strong sense of who I am. I love what I do. I love who I am. Mm -hmm. I love what I do wrong. I love when I I Mm -hmm. fail. I love how I learn after I fail. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's only, and I would say that's still like, I left Newtown maybe a year ago and I felt lonely and isolated again, but I got to discover even more about myself. Yeah, wow. Um, and that's a whole other conversation as well, but yeah. that's where I got into like non-binaryism and I began to understand that yeah. it wasn't just about sexuality, it's gender that's holding me back. Yeah, because I wanted to talk about that a little bit as well because in my mind, just looking from the outside, I think I saw this, you know, this coming out for you coming out as gay, but there was also coming out as non-binary. Mm. And did that feel like a coming out or a letting people in kind of situation as well? Or was were you just at the point where you're just like, whatever, this is just me. Like, where were you at when that all happened? <sighs> and when was this really? I'm trying to think back too. Mm. This began in July 2020. Just okay. after we had our massive first lockdown after the pandemic. Yeah. Um, and in the lockdown, I'd moved back to Cronulla for like a couple of months. And then I'd after that lockdown, I'd gone back to Newtown. Um, and one of the thing that changed the biggest moment for me. So when I first went into Christianity at 18, I went on this incredible camp for kids at risk of neglect and abuse Mm -hmm. to give like respite for parents as well as to encourage these kids to be their best lives. And in there, I shared a room with another uh, Christian leader. Mm -hmm. Um, His name was Paolo. Absolutely adore him. Mm -hmm. Um, And he was this flippant, flamboyant, feminine, (laughs) brown, Filipino Christian. And immediately, I saw him, it was back in the day where Hipster was cool and I saw him in a paisley <laughs> shirt and I was like oh, I love you oh. I'm like you're into fashion we love we love we love and I he and I just clicked we got along so well yeah and in that time we'd connected and stayed connected for a number of years until we both discovered each other on social on tinder oh and wow. Paolo was like blue you're gay now and I'm like well I'm queer Mm. but you're gay? And he was like, I'm so gay. It's not even effing funny. And I was like, we were both like, yeah, there was a time where Jesus was the only man when I could ever love. And that's not (laughs) true anymore. And then um, we moved to Newtown together in separate houses and we were part of this ex-evangelical group together. Oh, okay, yeah. So out of this lockdown, when I came back to Newtown, um, he had dealt with the trauma of being in a Catholic Filipino brown family in Australia and like he always knew from a young age that he was gay okay and that affected his mental health so bad and he was yeah one of those Christians that would say identify he goes you know I have to accept the fact that I am attracted to men yeah but the sin is behave acting on it exactly and so he would punish himself and punish himself and punish himself until sadly in 2020, and I can talk about it so unemotional now because I have to almost separate my emotion. Mm. He ended up um, dying by suicide in July of 2020 after the lockdown. And that just absolutely shook me. I was like, if I keep going on the trajectory of not embracing who I am, I'm going to end up doing the same. And I was just so fearful I did not want to do it because I had so much anger and bitterness towards the church after leaving. Like there's so much information I'm talking about, but I haven't gone into the depths of actually how painful it was. I didn't just leave community and church. I left my job that I had for four years where I worked at a Christian conference center and had like, I left everything. Yeah. And when he he did the same and he's no longer with us and I was like, I don't want to die. Yeah. 
I want to live this life to its absolute fullest. Mm. And so there was this aha moment where in his death I was rebirthed because I was like, I can either choose death the same or I can choose to live authentically and then wow. end up whatever the consequences are mm. to that. And I went, my friends took me away two weeks after his passing. We went to a nudist beach about two hours north of Sydney. Mm-hmm. We, um, we had um, an experience where we, had, we got naked. We ate heaps of beautiful fruit. And <laughs> then there was like this moment and we did like – oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. <I> he, said, <laughs> he said, can we talk about drugs? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wasn't sure I'm like yeah, yeah, whispering yeah, yeah, off the yeah, microphone yeah. I'm like can we talk about drugs <laughs> I wasn't sure if this was like the platform for it or not it's fine um, of okay cool okay beautiful so we didn't just get negative fruit we got we had half a tub of acid <laughs> and acid is this absolutely like it can be I should say it isn't like but it can be used yeah. really well this yeah. really beautiful metaphysical experience mm. and I went to the beach And I was out of Sydney and I was just reflecting on it all. And I was looking at the universe being recreated in this this bay. There was this water and the energy of the waves coming on into the bay and onto the beach and then redispersing. And then there were, I'm not joking, dolphins and (gasps) whales flailing about. And I was like, this is how the universe was created. It is all just energy matching energy that's redispersed in other ways. And I was with Mm -hmm. my mates who are all scientists and medical people (laughs) (laughs) whatever they are doctors (laughs) and they were like yeah that's actually like that's science like there is energy cannot be created or died it just is reimbursed (laughs) rebirthed it's reused it moves okay um and transforms itself and anyways we had this effing beautiful day and this tab we were talking about names and i was like can i just say something and they're like Mm. yeah i was like there's something in this moment right now, and I know I might be really high, but I feel like my name is Blue. And they all just looked at me and they could, f- not only did they sense my authenticity, but mm. they could sense, they could see in my personality, they're like, oh my God, you are Blue. Mm-hmm. You are so effing Blue. Mm-hmm. Like, you are so not, like that birth name, that government name that my parents gave me that's part of our culture and very boring and bland. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, and it was this really and then okay and then I was like okay I'm gonna explore this if if I'm gonna grab life I'm gonna explore this yeah and so this is when I you know a lot of conversations in lockdown through TikTok which mm-hmm. we love which we love taught me so much taught me so much about gender non-binary and yeah so I was like I'm gonna explore this and then I went through a whole <laughs> journey of going through grief and heartbreak and working mm-hmm. out whether I wanted to live whether I wanted to do something about it mm-hmm. and just going along with blue and then where this there was this aha moment mm-hmm. there was this aha moment. Sydney went into a second lockdown in 2021 in July and I was sitting out in the sun and I listened to this podcast by Man Enough, okay. the Man Enough podcast, yeah. Alok Vape Manon, who is a queer non-binary poet and artist, so came cool. onto the podcast and if you haven't followed or found Alok before or listened to this podcast, you have to. It changed I'll my life. It. I'll link it. I'll link it in the thingy. Yeah. And the whole point was Alok was talking about the whole comp thing about like, what is non-binary? What is gender? I don't understand why it has to be a big deal and blah, blah, blah. 
and Alok was like, this is not about comprehension. This isn't under, about necessarily understanding gender right now. This is about compassion. How much compassion do you have for yourself to live authentically? Mm. And how much compassion do you have for others? And Alok just gave me full permission to go. I was like, oh my God, Alok, mm. you're all about love. You're all about community. You're all about connection. This is me. And I thought mm. to myself, I'm 27 years old and nobody describes me as a man. I just had this realization. I'm like, everybody calls me a boy or bluey boy. <laughs> and I was like, that's because, and all these 21 year olds that look like they're filled out and they look like men, they're all getting called men. And I'm like, why as a 27 year old does nobody describe me as a man? Oh my God. It's because I'm never going to become one. Mm. Now that was really, so there was this whole journey. There was no, there was no clear cut moments that I came out or that I became yeah. not writing. Each of them was a journey of years and years yeah. of me discovering myself. And then from there, I have just been deconstructing and reforming all ideas around gender, its purpose. Like, yeah. what the hell is the purpose of gender to begin with? Now, let's mm. define, we're not talking about sex. Yeah. We're not talking about female or male or intersex. We're not talking about penis or vaginas or a combination of chromosomes. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the social construct of gender that is imposed on us by our culture. Yeah. In Western culture. Yeah. That I'm really deconstructing and reforming my ideas around. It has absolutely liberated me and it liberates every single person that I come into contact with that ex- wants to explore it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, I have to say, like, it. I'm sure there's so many things that I'm I'm preventing us from going in conversation for because you asked no. me a question and I I can't give an answer without giving you the full context. <laughs> no, I love it. Towards it. That's exactly what I want to hear. Okay. No, it's it's so so good. Um, so I just wanted to kind of go into from there. So then you then the, you changed your name, right? Yeah. Um, so you changed your name, decided to you know go with blue. Did you feel like once you commit like committed to that did it feel like there was like a committing to it did you feel like you had a lot of self like like hesitancy did you question it a lot yeah absolutely I'm like am I a con artist right like were you like okay guys you're gonna call me this now is that okay I'm like (laughs) uh who can I get permission from that it's actually okay to Mm. become myself Mm. and to be an adult and make my name and choose my gender and go I'm like I'm making this up as I go. Yeah. I'm just like <laughs> listening to external like Instagrams and TikToks. Um, certainly nobody from my community. There'd been some people that I'd come into contact with. But yeah, yeah absolutely. So many times. Even like before gender and in sexuality, mm. I would go into queer spaces and not feel queer enough to be oh, in, yeah. in that space. Yeah, for sure. And so with gender, I'm like, who am I to say that I'm non-binary when I'm so what's called cisgendered presenting. Like, mm. I look like a boy. I look like a man to so many people that don't understand gender. Right. And so, and when I say, well, actually, I'm, I'm non-binary and that I am, I am, for me, my understanding is, is that I am man, I am woman, and I am neither. Yeah. And I am everything in between them and I mm-hmm. am everything outside of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so absolutely navigating this, there's so many times where I'm like, I've got no idea what the fuck I'm doing. <laughs> And, like, who's going to validate me except mm. for me? And that's really mm-hmm. scary when people ask me questions and I'm like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. They're like, so do you want me to call you they, them or he? Do you care if I call you she? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm yeah. a bit nervous. And there's this whole complexity because yeah. being a man, right, comes with mm. privilege. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And so when I give up he, him, I'm actually giving up a form of my privilege. Yeah. Because when people see refer to me with he, him, which I'm welcoming of and she, her, and they, them, I'm not mm. bound by any. Yeah. That's why I say like my preference is they, them, but I'm not, I'm open to all. Yeah. Is that there's also this element where I don't know how to discover this. I want to talk to a non-binary person that's gone through this, particularly one that was identified at birth as a boy or a man. Mm-hmm. Being a boy and a man comes with privilege. We all know that within our, yeah. in our culture. Yeah. I'm actually giving up a, a part of my privilege yeah. in going into non-binary. And that's actually mm. really like, I'm going to be vulnerable and like put my hand up and say, that was scary because yeah, like I recognize really my privilege and we don't really want people to have be more privileged than others. But also I had it. Yeah. And there's power in my voice. And now that I'm moving to non-binaryism, I'm like, am I going to lose some of my power and privilege? That's ah. been a journey of scary to go on as well. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, especially when you have this version of you that was very happy to kind of be like, I'm also attracted to women. I, I could just say I'm straight. Like, Absolutely. I'm sure I could be happy straight. Like, you know that I've experienced something very similar. And you guys have heard me talk about this before in other episodes where for so many years, even though I knew I was like, something's up about me, you know, I was like, eh, but I could be straight. Like I, in theory, I could just tell everyone I was straight. And then it wasn't until the point that I felt like I was like lying to people. Mm-hmm by saying that or like lying to myself that it was like okay now is the time that I I like I need to come out like for me I need to like it's it's just I can't do this anymore but yeah it's that struggle of like if I could just do it the easy way where generally people in society are gonna really appreciate me and I'm gonna fit into their little box and I'm probably gonna be liked more and questioned less and make less people feel confused or uncomfortable or have questions like, yeah. should I just do that? Yeah. You know, they get to a point where you're like, I'm actually exhausted. There's a tax and a toll to not being authentic. Yeah. And being honest and truthful. And Absolutely. that's something that we, that tax we can put a blind eye to and go, mm-hmm. okay, I'm just going to pretend that I'm straight or I could just go along with this story or I could go along with the fact that I'm a man or a woman or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then it gets to a point where you're like, the more that I like, it's not even sometimes I'm not necessarily lying about it, but I'm not honest about it. There's a tax to that. There's a tax to my understanding of self-worth mm. and love and appreciation for myself. And that's where that tax tax comes from because you're like, I actually have to start speaking up about the fact that I'm attracted to girls. Yeah. Or that I, I th- whatever it be. Yeah. Because that's when that tax becomes smaller mm. and that level of authenticity actually invites more money in not literal money but like you know like more energy in yeah yeah and love for self it's more love yeah yeah if you could kind of like go back and speak to you at that time or speak to someone who is like they are feeling that they're not living authentically but they are so scared of what it looks like to start to even unravel that do you have something that you would say And so many people overlook this and it is the most powerful tool ever. Mm. Go to the shop, get yourself a lined book or a blank book and journal. And journal every day. Journal the thoughts that are coming to you. Journal um, vomit, like blah, blah, blah. Just write (laughs) anything out there. Or do reflection. And then reflect on what you've reflected because Mm. it is so scary to try and put your thoughts out there and have somebody give you that immediately are trying to give you advice Mm. or they're immediately Mm. projecting their own beliefs or understanding about what you say. Yeah. Journals don't do that. 
Journals listen and they allow you to get off, yeah. but they do not provide feedback. Yeah. They do not provide advice. They do not provide their own ego or belief system onto you. Journal. I have done journaling almost every day. Mm. And I'm going to say almost every day. I'm going to say 90% of my days over the last eight years, I've gotten up in the morning wow. and I get myself a coffee and I go to a cafe by myself or if I've gone out into the bush or into the backyard and I <laughs> journal. Bush. The, the bush, bush is so funny for people who aren't oh, Australian. <laughs> the bush. The bush. <laughs> the hell is the bush in Australia <laughs> in literally like my backyard is what are people's called? Forest? Yeah. Forest, jungle, <laughs> the bush. We just call it the bush. Like, in Australia, it's like hiding Australia's. in the bushes. Is oh. like It seems like that to me. <laughs> so creepy. Yeah. yeah, no. I go sit in the bushes I'm across go the street. in the bush. Imagine. No, like Sorry. it just means to be out in nature. Yeah, yeah. Out in nature is what I mean by the bush. Um, Love that. Because that is not only a place where you can get off your chest things that are on your mind. Because half of it is just talking, like getting it off your chest and externally. Yeah. And then the other half is going, huh. I'm going to read over that and go, what in that do I, I'm actually going to quote this straight from my phone. Oh, I love that from you. Okay. And this is what ties in, like you were asking about, like we were talking about confidence, right? Mm, If you don't have the confidence to like explore this or rah, rah. So I've written, if you want confidence in yourself, know yourself. Yeah. Like, Yep, I'm not going to go in further into that. I know that might sound... Take that for literally what it is. Yeah. If you want confidence in yourself, know who you are. Like, understand who you are right now. Mm-hmm. Journal. Reflect. Reflect on what you've reflected on. Deconstruct what it is you think and discover the belief that is behind that. That's informing what you think. And then discover two things. Does that belief serve me? And do I value this belief? Yeah. Because there's so many beliefs that we have that we don't actually value because right. we've adopted them from our parents or from our church or from yep. our older brother or from school. Yeah. Um, and from that, reflect and begin to know who you are. Develop an awareness of self. Because from there, like when you're aware of yourself, aware of the beliefs that you have that are limiting you and aware of the beliefs that are strengthening you, like this is an extremely powerful platform to stand from in navigating forward. And that's yeah. what confidence in action looks like. It's yeah. like, I actually know that this is a really weak and scary thing going on for me. I Just being able to identify that goes, well, I actually know myself. Yeah. And you can navigate relationships through that mm. and go, wow, I'm actually in my place of strength and this is my belief is really affirming this scenario that I'm in. Mm. That's where that confidence comes from, I think, that has got me through. Journal and reflect on it and go through those beliefs and work out whether you value them or not. Yeah. I totally, even you saying that I can totally see, even for me, how that fits in for me automatically. I can go like that. This is why I'm excited for people to hear this because I'm like, even for me right away, I can go, that's so true. Like, how could I have even tried to be in a healthy relationship if I didn't know what I even valued in relationships Yes. or like, how could I be surprised that I lacked friendships when I had no idea what I even wanted in a friend, Yes. you know? So then I would go to try to create friendships and then I would always be like, oh no, I just get annoyed when I'm with them or I just get like I feel judged when I'm with them or whatever but it's like because in the first place I just hung out with whoever was there yes. which like you know it's just that thing where you don't have intention and anything that you do without intention yes it might end up well and you might get lucky and things do happen but a lot of the time when there's a lack of intention yep. we don't receive at least as much as we would have if there was that intention 
behind it. And it especially happens in your relationship with yourself. Because if you don't know, like, okay, I am someone who really values inclusivity, for example. And then you go to work somewhere where it doesn't really align with your values and it's something, or maybe like the church where it literally potentially pushes that away or it's actually against your values. You might just look at it at the start and be like, oh yeah, but I want this job and oh, but my friends are here. Or, you know, you make excuses for why it works for you. But then a year later, you're going, what if, why have I wasted all this time here? This has like, this is the opposite of what I want. And then you're confused over and over and over. Why do I keep finding myself in these situations? Yes. But it's because you're not making those decisions with the intentions of like, this is what I want. This is what I value. Yeah. And this is what I deserve to find. And, a, and an awareness of that intention. Exactly. An awareness yeah. of like your behavior. Because just then when you said, um, you said, uh, I, I, I value inclusivity. Mm. Now, you might know that on a subconscious level, but you've never actually named it or made it conscious. Mm -hmm. So then when you're going into workplaces that Mm. aren't that, you want that job and you want to feel included. So you do exclusive behavior that excludes people and excludes. So you you unintentionally doing something that's against your values because you want to feel safe and you want to fit in. And then six months later, like I was talking about that tax, you're like, I'm not realizing that I'm taking a tax out of my value that Mm. is inclusivity because my behavior Mm. isn't matching up with what it is that I value. Then, which is really difficult, when you go, okay, now I realize that I want to be inclusive because I've done my journaling and I've reflected, oh my gosh, my behavior isn't matching actually what it is that I believe and value. Mm The hard part is then navigating it. How do I bring that into my everyday? Because when you come back into that workplace and you stop gossiping or you stop excluding and you start inviting people in because mm. you want to act on your behavior, people are going to immediately and reject it because they haven't seen this version of you yet. Yeah. And so they're fearful. They're like, I haven't seen this inclusive version of you and this is not the culture. And so they go mm. like, what the fuck is going on? Mm-hmm. And so that's also scary, but you have to commit to that value and belief because then you start yeah. inviting others into that that share the same value. Exactly. And then that tax isn't there and you're living and you're thriving and you're around people that want to be inclusive or you've mm. changed the culture because actually what you find out is that everybody else wanted to be inclusive. They were just shit scared of not fitting in. Yeah. So they were all practicing that poor behavior. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. As soon as you start to actually embrace who you are, like actually genuinely embrace the values that you want to have, those people will come to you. Like you, you're not going to find people that you gel with until you are actually acting as your true self. You know, like if you are acting in a way where you're just conforming to that culture that's around you, you're going to consistently be unhappy Mm. and you're going to be like, Oh, I just don't fit with these people. But of course you don't fit with them because you're playing a part. Mm. That's not you. You don't fit with yourself. You You don't don't understand. Exactly. If you can't fit with yourself, you'll never actually authentically fit in with others. Mm. So this is why like we're talking about confidence is Everything is about the confidence is in knowing who you are. Like mm. really like scratch it, point at it, put put yeah. a gun to it, like and be like, <laughs> who am I? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I believe in like blah blah blah. But like reflect on it, deconstruct it, and like, I believe inclusivity. What does that actually mean? Yeah. What is being like inclusive? It's a it's a broad word, like I respect women. But what is respecting women? actually look like right and what does it mean to you and what does it mean and how to does you? it change your behavior and then when are you going to implement it into yeah. your behavior yeah. because i could say i value inclusivity but until i actually go oh inclusivity doesn't it means um uh inviting this person out to lunch afterwards or blah 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 mm-hmm. like until you actually identify what inclusivity means to you then you can act on it 
because mm. it's really hard to navigate when you say, I've got this, another value. I've got a value of freedom. Mm. Oh, well, that's great. Mm. What does freedom actually look like to you? Reflect on that and discover what does freedom actually mean to you? Does yeah. that mean like not being with my partner anymore? Right. Or does freedom look like just getting my driver's license to drive around? Mm. Freedom is a nice umbrella word, mm-hmm. but you will not know who you are in freedom until you start to discover what freedom actually means to you. Yeah, exactly. That's so good. And how do you find with your experience, how did you start to find those values for yourself, especially coming from a background of, or at least not not a background, but spending a lot of time in the church where your values kind of just rely on like biblical, you know, mm. teachings or the church or whatever. How did you start to build up your values and understand that for yourself? Um, actually, the church gave me a really useful tool in which I still use today. Okay. And so my particular church, we could probably call progressive. Okay. Um, that I went to. It was non-denominational. Mm-hmm. Um, and they used to use external resources um, all the time. Like, say, Atomic Habits come out. They'd be like, how can we apply Atomic Habits into Ooh. our culture? Oh, wow. Um, I love that. Uh, what it, what's that orange book? Like, uh, not something about not giving the a fuck? The Art of Not Giving a Fuck. The Art of Not Giving... They're yeah. like, cool, let's read this and Im- implement it. And, like, what, what does this reflect on us? Wow, that's cool. So they cool. used this resource that was, um, like... It was literally just a list of 50 values. Okay. And we'd sit in a circle and then we highlight, go through and highlight all the ones that connect with you the most, mm-hmm. that connect with you. And I highlighted all of them. And I would invite anybody listening to this, like go literally onto Google Image or Google a thing where mm-hmm. there is a list mm-hmm. of values. Highlight the ones that resonate with you. Then go back through them and start crossing out the ones that aren't as strong to you right. until you come down to say 10. If you can, five, and find your top five values. From here, when I did this in the church, I found out my my values at the time was respect was right at the top. Once I began to understand respect, it made me realize why I got so angry. Mm. I used to get, I used to absolutely flip it when somebody used to do, I don't know, talk to me the wrong way or look at me Mm. the wrong way. Now, when I understand, I'm like, oh, my God, because I thought that was disrespectful. Now I understand it. When people would do that, I'm like, oh, my God, I feel disrespected, but I don't have as much of an emotional reaction to it. And I can go, I'm going to choose to respond to this. Hey, Alyssa, right. I hate it when you, don't, when you do that to me. Yeah. Or I just don't hang out with you anymore. Then go through those five and go, how and where do I already implement these in my life? Yeah. Where am I not implementing these in my life? Yeah. And where can I? Yeah, cool. Um, and I do that. I revisit that every six months. Mm. My top five values, the top three have stayed consistent, but they've shifted and changed. Some have dropped out. New ones have come in. Like, mm, depending cool. on what I need. Like, one of them was, like, two years ago. I was like, so much of my mental health is dependent on my financial health. Boom. Finance, money went into mm. my top five values. Yeah. So you can play with it. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think because we talked about this a while ago, Boo and I, and um, – I remember thinking it was so interesting because I had left the church and I was like, I don't know what to do. I feel like I don't even know who I am anymore. I feel like my whole idea, because I really did grow up in it, all of my values were just like, well, it's obvious. It's just what I was Mm. taught. And I never really felt like I had that individualized experience. Like I knew that I was good at certain things. I knew people praised me for certain things growing up. But a lot of the things that I was praised for 
weren't even necessarily things that I cared about. It was yes. like from a young age, you're praised about like beauty or a certain talent or something like that. And so you actively keep trying to do that thing because you've had that praise from it. Yep. And then you only become better at it because you keep getting praise. And then it's like you form your identity around the things that you feel validated in. Yep. And so for me, I did that for a long time and I didn't know what to do. And I remember after one of our conversations, actually, I came home and I did like a test. There was like some online test. Um, and I do like the idea more of doing it on paper and like highlighting it. I yeah. think it's a lot better. And like, obviously you're someone who journals and I am too. And it's just better sometimes, I think, to sit there with paper, without the distractions, without even like potentially an image that goes along with the word Yes, that could trigger you to think yes or no towards that thing, unless you, instead of just having the words, you know what I mean? Yep. Um, so I do, if you guys are going to do something like this, which obviously we recommend that you do so much, um, I would do a paper version of it, but I did it. And yeah, I found that one of mine was inclusivity. Um, another one was trust. And there's a few other ones that I don't really remember all of them, but I, I remember thinking like, it didn't feel like I had done it properly. I had kind of done it quickly. It's more of like a, when you sit there and you do like a little quiz, like it felt more like that. Yep. It was just cause I was like, I was so curious and I didn't know what to do, but even I now I want to do this. Like I want to go do the paper one and I yeah. want to like really take the time because yeah, I couldn't imagine how much it would just automatically like make you think reflect like it's it's hard not to it's like yeah you know it's your I thoughts feel like just like wow innate ones and then there's choice chosen ones and when i say mm. innate i mean like natural ones so there's yeah i feel like there's natural like almost dna biological ones that mm. you have and then there's ones that you choose and when you become conscious of those you can choose i feel like there's natural ones natural values that come to you that you go because of the way that you were raised or whatever mm -hmm. that you actually need to let go of and bring in chosen ones and then there's ones that we mm. choose that actually don't serve us and we don't have because of church or because of yeah. our soccer club or because of the men in our lives or the women in our lives that we actually need to f off and so okay. it's this play of going what do i innately feel i do innately feel like um fun like even joy is a, a value of mine. That's one that comes from my innermost nature. Things like money or adventure, they're ones that I choose to bring in. Mm -hmm. And so it's that play. That's when you practice mm. and you blend them together. And you make an active choice. What am I innately and what do I want to choose? Because that's interesting to me. Because I think at first I thought of it as being like, these are the five things that you are like it's almost like a personality test. These mm. are the ones that you are. Yep. And then you have to learn to use them to like like use them for the best, like yep. just get what you can out of them. You know, use I kind of strengths in them, yeah. even if it's a terrible value. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing, but I didn't realize that you were saying that it could be something that you actually, it brings up something in you and you're like, Oh shit. Like I, that's something that I actually really care about, but I don't, I don't actually want to place a lot of energy in that. Cause even for me, when I say trust, I know that in relationships, I really value trust because I'm very open and I like to overshare and I'm very into that. But I think for someone who naturally kind of overshares, I need that trust aspect as well, because then if I don't have that, then I feel like, I don't know, like I can't, I can't be myself. Like I can't tell people stuff. Mm. And then for me, that doesn't work in a relationship because I am so open, if that makes sense. Yep. Um, and it's interesting. And I do like that part of me. And I do think it's important that I see that. But then at the same time, I think then it makes me need to acknowledge why do I feel like the, when I see trust, my brain automatically goes to the negative outcome of not getting trust. Mm. Like, why does my brain automatically go to, well, I value trust because 
I feel like I can't trust so many people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because if my brain is automatically going there, there's obviously more that needs to be released. Like, okay, maybe the issue isn't trust. Maybe it's that I feel like I can't tell people things because I'm scared of what people will think of me or, you know, what happens if that gets to the wrong person? Like, are people going to judge me? And maybe it comes back to fear of judgment or something. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's interesting how it can start by being like, oh, trust, that's beautiful. And then you start to realize it's like, oh no, it's like, it's actually because like I really lack that or yeah, something exactly. like that. You know? And those values that you're describing there is like reflecting on finding out the values that you want for yourself internally, not mm. the values you want that's going to justify externally you. That right. trust, that going like, um, I, I want to value trust so that externally I feel safe with the people around me. Yes. That's still an external thing. This is about trust. Do I trust myself right. to be able to navigate this conversation? It's a bit of like a cop out. Yeah. 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 Wow. Mm. Interesting. Wow. Okay, cool. So it's, it's cool to hear that and to hear how you start to create what you want and to learn what you want. I want to ask you about what you do now because mm. – Obviously, it's been a whole journey, and now you're doing stuff with man cave and breath work and all of that. So I want us, I want to get into that because I think that's so interesting. Maybe, yeah. maybe you can start with the man cave stuff. How yep. that even happened? Oh my gosh, I'm like, this is like my, my most uh, one thing that the church taught us not to is never to step into pride, and like I hate that. And now I value mm. like it's not in my top five values, sure, but <laughs> I'm so proud of myself. Yeah, I am so fucking proud of myself and I'm so proud of my jobs and I'm so proud of what I do and so I'm so excited to share this because for me it's what I'm actually proud of is that I showed up for myself for like six months to a year after feeling sorry for myself for so many years after grief and feeling sorry that Christianity did this to me and Mm. like my best friend died and like the world can go fuck itself Mm. I felt sorry for myself and then I woke up and I was like fuck this Alok helped me and I was like, all right, I'm going to start showing up for myself because at the end of the day, I've got to live this life. So now I currently work for an incredible charity organization called The Man Cave. And my role is to travel around the state or around the country, um, facilitating conversations with young boys, uh, deconstructing and reforming ideas around masculinity, about the self, how to socialize in that space and teaching them mental health toolkits. Yeah. Um, So that's one thing that I do. And it is just the absolute best thing ever because I would have loved this as a young person. Mm -hmm. And I'm so grateful that like me being like um, in my relationships, I'm queer. In my gender, I'm queer. And like Mm. so many young people – Um, including like the people that we work with, which is young boys, Mm. is I'm giving them an opportunity and a visualization of like, we're talking, my job is to kind of give an idea of like the healthy masculine or healthy men. Mm. And I'm like, cool, you don't also have to be a man. (laughs) And that's what being a healthy (laughs) adult looks like. Um, You don't have to be attracted to women. And and so my conversations Mm. with is, Let's talk about what is a good man versus what's a real man. I'm like, all right, let's make a list. What's a good man? Looks after other people, um, serves, protects, loves. Mm. Um, Okay, what do we see? Like when people say, be a real man, what does that real man look like? Um, It drinks beer, (laughs) is buff, is strong, um, can fight. And they're like, so what's going on here? What's this disconnect? Because we see this good man. Wow. 
we don't see, sorry, we don't see this good man. We all talk about this good man, but what we see is this real man, which is what we're having this conversation about, toxic masculinity, Mm. or what we like to refer to as there are masculinities that are toxic. Because masculinity isn't toxic, but there are masculinities that are overplayed that can become toxic. Mm. And so these are the conversations that I have with young people, and it's really beautiful because I'm going through the journey myself. I'm like, what? Mm. I didn't even realise that about high school. I didn't think about that about myself. Mm. Um, So that's one job that I do. Love that. Yeah. Okay. And then what about um, Breathwork? Breathwork. So last year I decided to help out a friend. She was doing a Pilates business and I was like, I'm going to sign up and help you out with your business. And I started doing exercise, but she was like holistic. She invited this guy that does Breathwork and I was like, bitch, I know how to breathe. (laughs) I'm like, when am I not breathing? I literally breathe all the time. You should see me. I even do it when I'm sleeping. (laughs) (laughs) And do when you're sleeping. <laughs> so, and that was, I was like, okay, I'll go in with an open mind. I remember it was a 45 minute breathe. And so he takes us through this conversation and 15 minutes in, my body is tingling. I'm like, wow, this is so weird. This feels like exactly when I was at Hopkins Creek Festival on drugs. And it was like such a joyous moment. I had this big grin upon my face and I'm like, am I meant to be feeling this? Anyways, after getting past that point, it was about 20 minutes in and or I went into my subconscious. Now, the point of breath work is to take us from our prefrontal cortex, which is our, uh, this is our fight or flight. This mm-hmm. is where we're being, this is where we're analytically thinking about everything. Mm-hmm. Breath work slows down our heart, it alkalines our blood, and it takes us into our parasympathetic nervous system. And it moves the light and energy from our brain, from our prefrontal cortex, into our amygdala. This mm-hmm. is at the back of our head, and this is where our subconscious is. Mm-hmm. This is where memories are, and this is actually where trauma can be stored. And I remember doing this breath and I went, I wept, I wept and I wept and I wept. And I was like, I just had so much realization about who I am Mm. and like remembered memories that I now like I've suppressed because they were hurtful and now I've remembered them and I feel much stronger. Wow. Like I could almost fight off that memory. Yeah, wow. And so I was like, what the hell is this breathwork thing? I want more. And on this journey, I am now a qualified breathwork and meditation instructor where every week um, in groups or I do one-on-one sessions and I teach people about how to use nasal breathing or mouth breathing in particular ways in which allows them to connect with their subconscious. You're a professional mouth breather. I'm a professional (laughs) mouth breather. I used to be just a professional shit talker. Now I'm a professional breather. That's what I do. I got it That's, that's what this is all about, baby. That's how we became friends. <laughs> it really Two is. professional shit talkers. <laughs> and so now that's my job is to um, allow people to A, have conversations, discover who they are mm-hmm. through A, breaking down and reforming, deconstructing ideas around who they are, what they believe because of external things, as well as using, get out of that analytical mind where we're Mm -hmm. deconstructing things and then just get into your subconscious, get into the body. People think that the body and the soul and what do we say? Soul, mind, body. Body, spirit. Bodies. Say it again. (laughs) It's soul, spirit, mind, body. Yeah. Okay. They're the three triangle things that everybody uses, right? I'm body and spirit. I I was just making shit up. Okay. (laughs) Everybody talks, it's like, you know, it's all about mind, body, and spirit. Yeah, yeah. 
The mind and the body and the spirit aren't three entities. They're only three entities when we treat them separately. When we bring Mm. them into one, this is where we become our higher self. This is where we become our true self. This is where I have had conversations. I've become unconscious and I I don't know whether to share this if people are ready. (laughs) I've had conversations with God that some people say. I've had, I, I describe it as my future self, my higher self, my deep core being through breath work. Mm. And this is allowing me to have conversations that I do um, about gender and sexuality and about limiting beliefs is because I've also just had a relationship with my body that doesn't have any of that bullcrap of society. It's just me and my body that's meant to be a walking, talking space bunkie, eating blueberries and mushrooms and looking at clouds pass by. Like, that's what <laughs> right, I Right, you have these moments where you're just like, we're all just on a big-ass floating yes! rock. You're like, why? We just made all this shit up. Why am I working? Why? <laughs> you're like, what can I fuck? wear? <laughs> like, why can't I cross my legs at the train? Like, <laughs> why do I have to wear pants? Why do I? Why can't I wear a skirt? Like, yeah. um, And you just become this being. So, yeah, now I do all that and I invite other people's into getting connected with their spirit and their body. Wow. I know. That's crazy. I know. I it's feel like- so cool. Where do you see yourself like going with that? Do you have any idea? I mean, you've started this all pretty recently. Mm. So is not like, I mean, I don't know how recent I would say it is, but like, you know, recent in comparison to the years that you have lived, yep. do you feel like you'll be doing this for a long time or something in this space? Yeah. Like, is this what you want to do? Yeah. I feel like I got rebirthed after Palo's passing mm-hmm. just a year and a half ago. And then a year ago, I feel like I've really stepped into my true self. And this is all a journey. I hope mm. absolutely none of you listening to this think that I'm <laughs> this like polished outcome human being that's right. got a lot figured out. Right. I'm working it out as I go. Yeah. And what I'm learning from older people, this is why it's so important to have conversations with older generations. Mm-hmm. We we cancel them, especially boomers, because ugh, they do say a lot of problematic things. Um, <laughs> Cancelled. Uh, cancel. Sorry. You're out. Sorry, they you're have out. so much wisdom to teach us that this is part of the human experience. I'm mm. still learning about my body. I'm still learning about breath. I'm still learning about my sexuality. It wasn't even until a year ago, after 20, at the age of like 21, when I started telling people that I was attracted to men as well. Mm. They're like, oh my God, you're gay. And I was like, I just went along with it because I yeah. didn't really know what that is. Now, right. it was only until 12 months ago that I realized that I'm actually not just, I'm not gay. Yeah. I'm queer because actually what I'm attracted to to is masculinities and hyper femininity. Yeah. And now I have this privilege of being understanding myself Mm -hmm. and navigating this because I'm like, oh my gosh, now I don't feel limited by being put in the box of gay. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm queer. And now I get to navigate relationships with women and non-binary folk and trans folk and men and cis men. And, um, I'm on this journey. So, in the next five years, I'm just looking to discover myself more. Mm. As I begin to deconstruct, like I said, I'm deconstructing and reforming ideas. Highlight reforming ideas. Yeah. And what I believe now, and if this is the biggest thing that I can give to any young person, especially people who think that they've got an understanding of how the world works or who they are. What you believe to be true about yourself and the world will not be the same in five years time. And that's okay. It might seem scary and it might seem daunting, but Mm -hmm. it's really effing liberating and Mm -hmm. it's really fucking beautiful. Mm -hmm. So in the next five years, I see myself like I booked and paid and went to this event on Saturday. I knew absolutely no one. I knew people got like made art and they wore it and they did like chanting and shouting and dancing. And Mm -hmm. I was like, that's going to make me so uncomfortable. Sign (laughs) me up. 
I was like, sign me up because I want a new experience. So fi- yeah. the next five years is going to be A, me exploring more about who I am at core and inviting others along in that journey. Yeah. Through the breath, through conversation, yeah. through um, deconstructing ideas around social norms and around yeah. personal norms, the norms that we create for ourselves. Yeah. That limit us. And yeah, who knows? Potentially, wow. I think the goal would be to eventually, I'm um, a trained uh, TV presenter and radio host as well. So the yeah. goal would be bring maybe like a bit of Oprah Winfrey, <laughs> a little bit of like navigating life as well as Ellen DeGeneres and have a little bit of fun and play yeah. and have games and have oh, my own he'd be show. So good. Oh, It'd be so much fun. So fun. I'd be like, okay, let's talk about your deepest childhood trauma. Okay, now let's play around on this kayak and look <laughs> yeah. at dolphins. You know, like yeah. the chaos of like true life. Like that would be my dream. Wow. Yay. Yeah. Oh, I love hearing it. I love hearing your story. I love knowing you. <laughs> and it's it's so cool because like I remember I don't know, even just meeting you and being like, wow, this individual is just so fun and so like uplifting for people. But I knew also that you had this like depth to you and like this wisdom and you you have your very serious moments as well. And I remember thinking like, wow, it's so interesting. And then we'd have conversations about sexuality. And at the time I was struggling with my own and you didn't really know, but like, I would say, you know, I don't know. I'm kind of like thinking about it. Like I was kind of, you know, like, I don't know. Um, but I remember you always being like, oh, I'm so gay. I'm so gay. And I remember being like, okay. Like, you know, I remember seeing that. But then one day we had a conversation and you were like, no, yeah. Like I would fuck a woman. Like I would. <laughs> I was like, what? I mean, wait, this like, is a, wait. so funny because like, this is where I'm like, cause for me, I've got an understanding of who I am so I'm like okay yeah I'm queer and I'm open to all these things and then I see like the epitome of like a masculine man and I'm like oh my god I am so fucking gay right now <laughs> and like you would see that because we worked in hospitality where we mm. were the host and woo people so we saw everybody that came in there and I'd just be like <gasps> that guy is so hot right now. Yeah. And I loved navigating that with you because I yeah. just thought it was, it's fun making like sexuality for us, particularly coming out of Christianity mm-hmm. and for so many people is a really scary fucking thing. Yeah. And so I love to have fun with it now. I want it to be playful. Yeah. I want it to be hilarious. Oh my God, that guy made me so gay. I just had a gay experience. Like yeah. make it fun. I'm so glad that you had fun with that and that allowed you to be like open and yeah. explore that. That's so it encouraging. absolutely that. did. Because there's so much value in having the hardcore conversations and then there's so much value in just being like fuck it let's talk yeah. shit yeah. and like make fun of it all yeah well thank you so much for coming today blue <laughs> i'm so happy to have you and i just know that people hearing this like your story is inspiring and also just hearing the way you think about things and the way you're honest and you challenge yourself mm. is inspiring because a lot of the time we see people that we look up to or we think, wow, I, I could never be like that or I want to be like that person. But then it feels like they're a finished product. Yes. And it's like, I'm never going to get there. Yeah. You know, and I try to say that about this podcast all the time where I'm like, I am not, you know, I'm doing the work to try to figure it out. And I don't know, like I'm not this finished product, but I want to get there. And people just need to start making these little steps Mm. in like every day, kind of like doing little things to find themselves and to become that version of yourself. Because it's definitely not something that happens overnight, Mm. but it's something where you look back and you go, oh my God, I've changed so much. Like Mm. I look so different or I even, you know, I call myself something different or, you know, I believe completely different things, but I've, I'm actually at a place where I'm like proud of myself now. And that's, what's really cool to see. With your journey, I think, for me. Oh, I'm so grateful. And I would say to anybody, like, I would say to you that's listening, there's that quote um, that says, 
the person who is in love with the destination will get there faster. The person who is in love with the journey will walk further. And I just think there's so much more value in walking further because yeah. my life, I'm going to sit here and tell you, I have had mental health crises continuously and I will continue <laughs> to do because, but like I've had so much love and joy in that. And yeah. like, it's that honesty. It's that honesty yeah. that gets you through and that is real and riveting. Yeah. And that's the energy that you receive from me and the re- that I receive from you. From you. And yeah. that's why we make such impact is because it's anybody that looks polished and clean they don't know themselves truly they don't know who they are because it's always a journey of self-discovery and it's scary but it's so much more fun that way yeah it is so much more fun that way yeah and the more you do it with little things the better you get at it like the moment you actually let yourself be like okay that was a fucked up thought (laughs) you're like whoa that's gonna put me in jail like (laughs) like the moment you like let yourself do that and you actually are real with yourself, yeah. then every time it happens in little ways and you re- you start to realize that it's actually not bad. Yeah. Like it's like, oh no, I feel that because I actually should be demanding respect from this relationship or I should, you know, and you start to pull it out in all these areas of your life and it becomes addictive yeah. and then everything just starts to kind of take off. You know, and it's almost like it's an effortless thing, but at the start, it can definitely feel like it's almost like a learning curve, you know? It's like, at first it's like, yeah, maybe it does take a lot of effort to sit down and journal for five minutes every day. It does, at first, first. you know? It does, But then you're like, well, what would I do without it? Like, it gets to the point where it's like, then it's just easy, I'm like, I haven't journaled in three days. I'm literally getting anxiety because I just need to get out there and do it. I'm like, you're not going to be perfect. Like, I say that I've done it for the last eight years. There's been times where I've gone like two, three weeks without doing it. And we're going to find... The one thing that I will like finish by saying is, and I've said this to you just so many times, Mm. and I say this to everybody, like, give grace. Mm -hmm. And if you don't understand grace, like, grace just means like forgive and allow. Mm -hmm. For me, it's like give, when I fuck shit up at work, when I fuck shit up because I've given the wrong advice, when I fuck shit, give, I go, well, I tried. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give myself grace Mm -hmm. because I'm trying. And I'm going to give my partner grace because they're trying. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Give grace. Give grace. Give grace on that journey. It's going to be ugly and messy, but it's great. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, I love you. Hopefully we'll have you on another time. I'm sure we absolutely will. If you guys want to see anything that Blue does on social media, I'm going to like pop it all in the little description and then I'll put mine in there as well. And of course, I always appreciate when you guys share the podcast on like your stories and stuff because you guys reach people that I don't reach. And the more people that get to hear stories like this, the more people get to get something out of it. And obviously, if you're still listening you would have gotten something out of it. So I think that's awesome. So please share the podcast. Maybe follow it on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen just so that you can get the notification when I post new ones. And thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. Bye, Bye, guys. (laughs) Bye-bye.